Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. Today, my very dear friend and co-pastor, Dan Fisher, will be preaching a message on the rapture, that great catching away of the bride of Christ prior to the 70th week of Daniel. As at that point again, God's focus is going to be the purification of Israel and the punishment of planet Earth and preparation for a literal millennial reign where the seed of David, the Son of Man, King Jesus, comes in power and glory and rules and reign, and we come and rule and reign with Him. What a remarkable day that will be. I hope that you enjoy today's sermon entitled, Why the Rapture? We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. Well, this week what I would like to do is kind of pick up where we left off last week. And uh, I uh, was talking about uh, our COVID-19 debacle that's going on and how that might apply to end-time prophecy. Probably doesn't specifically, but I think it it raises a good point that Paul uh, has brought to our minds when he started a few weeks ago. So I want to begin there. One of the things that I was pointing out last week is that whether it's been intentional or unintentional, I think in some ways some of the folks have probably been unintentional, but I suspect that some of it is intentional. We've been told a lot of things, and I realize that part of it is it was a brand new uh, strain of virus. With a brand new strain of virus, there's just some unknowns that you don't know. You have to learn by trial and error. I get that, but the extreme response is what is so frustrating to us. Not the fact that the CDC and other physicians didn't have all the answers because we didn't expect them to. But to have such an extreme response to something that's now uh, becoming pretty obvious, uh, this is Dr. Nancy uh, Mosier, as, as you can read, and she is the director of the National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Diseases, a, a department of the CDC. And they made a major announcement this week It's just another one of those markers that says, you know everything that we said? Uh, Never mind. Do you remember back early on, they told us that COVID-19 could survive for up to three hours in aerosols, up to four hours on copper, I would assume pennies, uh, up to 24 hours on cardboard, and up to three days on stainless steel and plastic surfaces, right? Right? And they were telling us, this is why we need to take all these extreme measures, wear gloves, then no, don't wear gloves, yet wear gloves, no, don't wear a mask, yes, wear a mask. All of these different kinds of things, just over and over. Well, this week, the CDC actually officially said COVID-19 is not caught easily from surfaces. Now, that is the opposite of what we have been being told for the last two and a half to three months. Here is one of their official statements. According to guidance for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, I quote, it may not be necessary to continually wipe down surfaces and objects to prevent the spread of COVID-19. 
their informational page, the CDC's informational page about how the coronavirus spreads was updated this week to state it does not spread easily from touching surfaces or objects. Now, this is not to disparage the medical community. I've already given the, the, the disclaimer. I know in dealing with new strains of virus, you don't know how it's going to react. I, I, that's, that's not my intent. But I do believe that we're living in a time when a crisis has been used against us by some, uh, certainly in the progressive left in our government, to try to ruin our economy. I believe their goal was to uh, get Trump uh, thrown out of office uh, this, this coming November and to, to spread fear among the citizens. And unfortunately, they have been extremely successful. And now, in the midst of all of this, we're actually having to redo the facts because what we were told was not true. In fact, here's another headline. It says, Coronavirus patients' risk of death could now be predicted 10 days early. So all of these scare tactics that, you know, you can't know, that's not really true. Here's another article that's talking about what they call deaths of despair. They are predicting because of the overreaction to the COVID-19 virus that in the next few years, there will be from 75,000 to 150,000 people in America who will die from deaths of despair, primarily through suicide. In America, because of the over-response of uh, our government. Uh, this, is, this is the point that Paul and I are trying to make. And this is what I believe causes us to then begin to look into a prophetic timetable and try to ask ourselves the question, not necessarily is COVID-19 the wrath of God, because as I preached last week, I don't believe it is. But I do believe it's the stupidity of man in our response to it. There are still major churches within three miles of this church that are not meeting yet. This is our fifth Sunday to meet. And there are, major church, there are some major churches, I've told you this before, in Dallas that have said they're not going to meet until August. Falls Creek was canceled for all summer this week. That's the largest youth camp in America. Southern Baptist said, we're not going to meet. Now, I understand there are some risks. But it's like I said last week, friends. Life is a risk. Take it. Life is simply a risk. Now, California has been one of the states that has been... Uh, the most extreme in their response. And I'm always scratching my head wondering, why is California so messed up? Well, even though this is a grainy photograph from just a few years ago, maybe this will illustrate to you. On the left is Chief Heather Fong. She is the first San Francisco Police Department female lesbian chief police. Standing in the center is Teresa Sparks. She is a former male. There is no such thing. Um, she is a former male president of the San Francisco Police Commission and CEO of a multi-million dollar sex toy retailer. And then on her left to our right is Sergeant Stephen Thorne. He's a former female. There's no such thing either. Uh, first transgender male San Francisco Police Department police officer. Now this is in San Francisco. 
So where else are you going to find an Asian lesbian police chief, one deputy chief who is a woman who was a man, another deputy chief who is a man who was a woman, and a police commissioner who was a man and is now a woman whose full-time job is running a sex toy store. Where in the world could you find that but California? Now, here's my point. Are we surprised that in a culture that allows this kind of stuff, there is a nutty response going on to a flu-like virus, new, albeit not knowing exactly how it's going to affect people. See, we are now being run by people like this. I suspect that one of the reasons why the millennial generation has responded so violently is because that's probably the first large generation in our history that is primarily ear or non-religious. They are completely unprepared for death. And so they are terrified by the prospect of an early departure. And I've always preached, you cannot deal with life until you've dealt satisfactorily with death, and then you can live your life. But if you haven't dealt with death, then life is nothing more than a terror ride through a lifelong roller coaster where you do not know what's around the bend, you don't know what's under the next drop, and this generation has responded crazy. Now, the icing on the cake to this picture is that their congressional representative is Nancy Pelosi, which seems to make a whole lot of sense to me, doesn't it to you? Oh, and by the way, this gentleman declared churches as essential services this week in America. So, <laughs> isn't that good? Okay, so then, with this entire thing going on around us, churches cowering still in fear, afraid that they're going to betray some principle in Romans 13 that it doesn't even teach, or afraid of their own shadows, or whatever it is, what do we take away from this? And that's what we're dealing with in this series of sermons. How should this change the way we look at life? And I don't mean the virus, but our extreme irrational response to this virus. How should this change the way that we live our lives? Should it change our position and our posture on certain things? I think it better. So last week, I was trying to answer the question, is COVID-19 the wrath of God? Because some people have just been saying, well, it's the judgment of God. Well, heaven knows we deserve it. And maybe somehow indirectly, because of our ignorance, we are bringing upon ourselves the judgment of the Lord by misusing principles that God has wired into creation. Well, that is punishment in and of itself. So maybe in some indirect way, but I do not believe this is the wrath of God. And I I illustrated to you what the wrath of God really looks like. And it doesn't look anything like COVID-19. Now, for those who have died of the disease, our heart goes out to their families and friends just like our heart goes out to those who die of cancer or who die of some other kind of illness from using tobacco or from from those who've died of, uh, you know, type A, B flu or, or hepatitis C or whatever it is. Life is filled with viruses and bacteria because of the fall and the sin of man, and that's just life. 
So we have to decide, are we just going to roll up in a fetal position and run and hide from germs? Or are we going to live our lives and do our very best to fulfill the mission that God has called us to? Now, we ended last week with showing that, according to Scripture, the wrath of God does not fall on His children. Now, let's be careful that we qualify who His children are. We're not all God's children. For instance, Paul Blair is not God's child. I'm kidding. No, no, that's... Bad preacher. Bad. That's not what I meant to say. We're not all God's children. You'll hear people say on the news, well, you know, we're all God's children. No, we are not. The Bible says we're all Adam's children. In the image of God, yes. But we're all descendants of Adam. We're Adam's sons with Adam's sins. The Bible says that the only way we're children of God is by the process of spiritual adoption that can only take place when we come to know Christ as personal Lord and Savior. And then God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, spiritually uh, resurrects us from our dead Uh, sinful uh, existence and turns us into a child of God and grafts us into His eternal family. So then we become God's children. Well, in that respect then, the Bible clearly says that the wrath of God does not fall on God's children, which is a beautiful segue then into one of what I believe to be important doctrines that we believe here at Fairview Baptist Church. And that is the doctrine of the rapture of the church. Now, I realize again, and let me say this, that there are many different views of end-time events, what is called eschatology, and if those fall within biblical parameters, then they're okay, and nobody's a heretic if they don't agree with your particular version of how things are going to play out in the end, as long as their version falls within those biblical parameters. But I do believe that it is important that we know where we stand and what we believe about the end times because the Bible has so much to say about it. And taking this position, well, it'll all just kind of work out in the end, I appreciate that because many people who take that position, they just don't want to get into arguments and debates. I get that. The problem is we're taking a I don't have a position on a subject that covers a great deal of the Bible. So it's important then that we know where we stand. I personally am a dispensationalist, meaning that God deals in different ways, in different times, but always consistent with His character and His plan. But I'm also a premillennialist in that I personally believe that the church is not going to go through the Great Tribulation. So I want to talk today about why the rapture. Why do I believe in an event called the rapture? I mean, after all, people will say, that word's not even the Bible. Well, neither is the word Trinity. But surely, if you're an Orthodox Christian, you believe in the Trinity. But that word's not in the Bible either. So that's a really lame argument to simply say, well, because that word's not in the Bible, I don't believe it. The word doesn't have to be there for the concept to be taught throughout. So why the rapture? Why do I believe in the rapture? Well, it's not because I'm kind of an end-time prophecy uh, hound. I mean, I've known people in my life who were sincere Christians, and all they wanted to do was talk about prophecy. I've known people who actually teach the Bible, and all they ever want to teach is the book of Revelation and other prophetic passages of Scripture. And I call those people prophecy hounds. Now, maybe they're well-intentioned, But that is only teaching a little segment of God's overall message. 
Granted, it's throughout Scripture, but we cannot give ourselves to just the sky is falling prophecies and predictions. And what really upsets me is when Christians then go beyond what Scripture says and they start extrapolating things like dates and start predicting when the rapture is going to take place or when the Lord is going to return. And every time we do that, we lessen our effectiveness because when it doesn't pan out and happen when we said it would, people kind of take note of that and they say, okay, they were dead wrong about that. Then when we're talking about something else that's far more solid in Scripture, they probably make a little check mark and say, well, I wonder if they know what they're talking about when they're talking about that. So it's very important that we understand exactly what the Bible says about end times and why we believe what we believe. Now, I'll never forget, I was a a very young pastor. It's hard to imagine that now, I realize, but I was a very young pastor when this book was published. And I apologize, by the way, for the photograph, but apparently this is the only photograph that is available of Mr. Wisenhunt, uh, at least on the Internet. This, this man is named Edgar C. Wisenhunt. He was a NASA rocket engineer, as you can say, became a prophecy teacher, and he predicted that the rapture of the church was going to occur sometime between September the 11th and the 13th in 1988. In fact, he became very well known for a book he wrote uh, entitled 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Now, we've kind of joked about Wisenhunt's work, and, and we've kind of, you know, uh, kind of ribbed him a little bit about it. But let me back up and tell you, this guy was no idiot. He was a brilliant individual, and I think was probably a sincere Christian, and, and most likely really believed the Bible. Now, he got some things wrong, and that's why he missed the 1988 prediction of the rapture of the church. But before we go any further, I want you to know that I'm not disparaging him in particular. He uh, went to be with the Lord in 2001. As far as I know, I'll see him in heaven someday. But he was wrong about a good number of things. And I would say the first thing he was wrong in doing is trying to predict when the Lord is going to return to begin with, as we'll see in just a moment. But his book was uh, very, very popular. Uh, Approximately 4 million copies of the book were either sold or distributed. Some 300,000 were distributed to pastors all across America. I was one of the pastors who received that book in, in the mail. And having come from uh, some pretty solid training from Dr. Bennett at First Baptist Fort Smith, Arkansas on end time prophecy and all, of course I was very interested in this book. And as I read through it and, and, and looked through what was going on, you, know, you have to scratch your head and say, well, we'll just, we'll just have to see. Well, of course, the Lord did not return on September the 11th through the 13th, 1988. So when nothing happened, by the end of September the 13th, Wisenhunt revised his prediction, suggesting the rapture would come at 10.55 a.m. on September 15th. When that failed, he revised it to October the 3rd. In Christianity Today, he was quoted as saying, The evidence is all over the place that it, meaning the rapture, is going to be in a few weeks Anyway, well, of course, the Lord did not come in October either. And so he wrote another book in 1989 claiming that he had made a slight miscalculation of one year because of a fluke in the Gregorian calendar. So he predicted that Jesus was actually going to return during Rosh Hashanah of uh, 1989. 
Well, of course, Wisenhunt published his discovery. His book was entitled The Final Shout, The Rapture Report, 1989. The Lord didn't return. And so starting each year after that, for a good number of years, this book was uh, uh, updated, reprinted, and published. And he kind of became a joke of, of, of... the church because he just kept predicting the return of the Lord and obviously he missed it every time. But he's not the only one. Some of you have read books or watched programs by this gentleman. Now, I'm not questioning his Christianity at all, but this is Hal Lindsey. Hal Lindsey predicted a number of years ago in late great planet Earth when the Lord was going to return and he was wrong. He's not the only one. This is John Hagee. John Hagee has made similar predictions. In fact, not long ago, he wrote a book entitled The Four Blood Moons. It was making all kinds of prophetic uh, predictions about end-time fulfillments. And actually, none of those came true. Now, I'm not going to call these people false prophets or teachers because I think probably these men know the Lord. But I'm telling you, it is a dangerous thing to meddle around with predicting what's going to happen in the future. So we have to be very, very careful that we do not do that. In fact, Jesus said it in Matthew 24, 36, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And so that we wouldn't be uh, confused, he then explained in verses 40 through 44 that the coming of the Lord would be like a thief in the night. One would be here, I mean two would be here, one would be taken. Two would be over here, one would be taken, the other left. So he warns us that he's going to come like a thief. In Acts chapter 1, verse 7, when he's getting ready to go back to heaven to the Father, the disciples said, okay, are you going to establish the kingdom now? Now Jesus could have said, you lunkheads, there is not going to be a kingdom. So for all of the all-millennialists and post-millennialists who don't believe there's going to be an earthly kingdom, why didn't Jesus stop right there and say, guys, Get this in your thick heads. There's not going to be an earthly kingdom. He didn't do that. But here's what he did say. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. So it's the height of foolishness to try to predict when the Lord's going to come back. And I think it's a great mistake. So when we talk about the rapture of the church, why is that even important? Well, because it's a doctrinal position that actually positions the church for ministry and devotion to the Lord. Now, here's a theologian by the name of William Hendrickson. And in his book, uh, which was a commentary on the book of Matthew, here's what he said about what Jesus said about predicting he was going to come back. Jesus in Matthew 24, 36, the verse we just looked at, proves the futility and sinfulness of every attempt on man's part to predict the date when he will return. It's not only stupid, I believe he's right. It's a sin. Dean Halverson, who is another theologian and a great author, said, it's one thing to be reminded that the end might come soon. It's quite another thing to make specific predictions about the date of the rapture. The practice of speculating about the date of the rapture is akin in spirit to that of the diviners and astrologers. It is akin in that they all seek after a knowledge that is reserved for God alone. Our task is not to dwell at length on the particulars of the end times, but to make ourselves ready at all times and to help others become ready for Christ's return, which will happen in His time. That's very important then. So you say, well, Dan, are you telling me then it doesn't matter? Well, no, it it matters greatly. 
But we need to have the proper perspective and not be prophecy hounds trying to predict when this event's going to happen and when that's it. I I was visiting with someone uh, this week and, and we were talking about how there are some out there predicting that if a vaccine is found for COVID-19, there's the rumor that they're going to to, uh, place uh, nanites in the actual uh, vaccine serum, which are small enough to go through the hole of a hypodermic needle, and they're really just little computer chips, and that they'll be in our blood and in in our bodies, and we'll be tracked. And there are lots of people talking about it. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. But then there are others who are going on to say, so that's the mark of the beast. Guys, that is not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast cannot be passed over on you accidentally or secretly. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that those who will take the mark of the beast knowingly fall to the the Antichrist and worship him and in so doing reject Christ. It's not some secret deceptive thing that somebody is going to be able to to pull over on you and you wake up one morning and say, Instead, I could have had a V8. I took the mark of the beast. I didn't even know that was what that was. That's not what's going to happen. But see, this is what happens when we go to seed on Bible prophecy. We're out there saying all kinds of crazy stuff. And I believe the devil then uses that to make us look like idiots. Now, he doesn't have to work very hard because some of us are really good at it. But it hurts our message, right? Now, here's another thing I want to deal with, and then we're going to look very quickly at some reasons why you ought to embrace the the doctrine of the rapture of the church. The rapture is not, in contrast to the accusations that some make toward people like me and Paul, a theory dreamed up by weak-kneed Christians who are too squeamish to suffer. The Bible teaches that Christians have and will always face persecution, persecution and suffering on this earth. Those of us who teach the rapture and are serious students of God's word do not teach it because we're, we're, we're practicing escapism. That we think we're either too good to suffer or that somehow God's not going to let Christians suffer. That is not biblical. In fact, look at these verses. John 16, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, Jesus said. Acts 14, The early church said, We must through many tribulations Enter the kingdom of God. Now, not the great tribulation, tribulations, trials and tribulations. Second Timothy 3.12, Paul warned Timothy, All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Christians get sick. Christians have accidents. Christians die. Christians are persecuted. Christians lose their jobs. Christians sometimes face bankruptcy. We go through the same things in life that everybody else does. The difference is God promised to work, promises to work all of those things together for our good. And we have the strength of the Lord to get us through those. And in, in the midst of those, we're a living testimony of the goodness of God. But we still go through those things. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word, and we look forward to being with you next time for the conclusion of this two-part message, Why the Rapture? Until next time, may God richly bless you. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. 
You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.